Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. This is Rob Howe, happy to be back again with Mike Humple from Humple Chiropractic in North Liberty with our Backer to Cracker Tip of the Week. Mike, what do you got for us? Rob, today we're talking about tech neck, or some people call it text neck. You know, many of us have smartphones now, or especially with the with COVID pandemic, we're at home working on computers. So we've got that technology in front of us, and that tends to lead us to slouching and, and hunching over and looking down, those kinds of things. Neck pain, headaches develop, back pains develops. So the four tips to avoid tech neck, I would say, number one, just sit in a neutral position where your ears are over top of your shoulders. Don't allow your head to fall forward and ears get out over in front of your shoulders. So it helps you sit up straight, ears over the shoulders. Number two, hold your phone at eye level when you're using your phone. It may seem a little awkward at first, but if you can bring, just bring your phone up so your head doesn't have to go down, that will also assist you in keeping your ears over your shoulders, keeping that more neutral posture. And number three, if you want to look down at your device, try not to bend your head and neck down. Instead, look down with your eyes. Okay, our eyes can move too, and they can help limit the amount of motion um, and forward bend we put in our neck and heads. And then lastly, just try to avoid using, uh, uh, avoid spending too much time using your device, um, and just do take frequent breaks. We all know we're going to use them, use them frequently. You know, we'll tell our kids, you know, shouldn't be on that device when we're probably on it twice as much as they are sometimes. So just, just, just try to put the phone down, put the technology down and give yourself frequent breaks if you can. That'll really help improve your overall comfort, improve your posture, and reduce the amount of headaches or neck pain that you get from sitting at your work computer or being on your phone. I think a lot of people are shaking their head yes right now and relating to what that tip of the week <laughs> covered. And if you'd like to get more information from Mike and check his business out at Humple Chiropractic, you can check him out at humplechiro.com. Give him a call at 319 319- 325-3558, and they are located at 1295 Jordan Street, Suite 6B in North Liberty, Iowa, 522, or excuse me, 52317. Welcome back to the Hawk Fanatic Hotspot Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe, joined by Scott Docterman, as always. He is at a remote location and has had some Wi-Fi issues, we're hoping that those uh, we stay connected here and uh, are able to get through this podcast. Neither one of us is drinking yet, but that may happen before the podcast ends. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I kind of like to, and I'm looking over, and my son, he's drinking a Guinness right now, and I'm thinking, man, it would be perfect to, uh, <laughs> to have, a, have a couple drinks of that, but I probably shouldn't because uh, uh, we don't want to get explicit on the Hawk Fanatic podcast realm, so... Or do we do? I don't know. Maybe makes it more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's the professional in Scott and myself that uh, we're holding off our urges at this point. It is uh, about 1.30 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, November the 25th, day before Thanksgiving. Uh, recording a week, uh, day early this week because of the holiday. And uh, there are some problems with Anchor. So if this podcast doesn't end up getting posted till you know, Thanksgiving morning, you kind of, I wanted to make sure you have a time element from when we are recording this. And uh, so let's jump out. We're going to focus a lot on the Black Friday football game with Iowa and Nebraska. Uh, Iowa winners of five, eight, five in a row in this series. One question I've gotten this week, Scott, is, is this a rivalry? And 
it's funny because when it started, everybody's like, man, I hope Iowa can win some of these games and make this a rivalry, and now here we are. It's, it's complicated, and I just did a live chat with our Nebraska writer, Mitch Sherman, for an hour, and somebody kind of asked about that, and it was mostly on the Nebraska side, and it's, it's kind of a condescending, of course we're Iowa's rival, and, and I'm like, Iowa has four rivals, if you ask me, and really there's a couple others that kind of qualify as well, and, and, you know, is Nebraska more important than Iowa State? I would say no. Is it more important Wisconsin or Minnesota? Probably not. In football before, when they first joined the, the Big Ten, yeah, they carried a higher profile than all those teams. And so it looked like, okay, this could be something both teams point to. It's an end of the season game. Two, two fan bases that love and care about football. And, and there's a lot of potential starch there. And, and really, 10 years in, I'm looking at it going, I honestly think that it's a bigger deal when they play Northwestern and, and that's not to put down Nebraska. I just think right now, Nebraska is just, it's not a quality team. It's lost its last game to every single team in the West division. And you know, how do you make, it's one thing if you've played them forever, it's another thing if you haven't, you know, I mean, like if, it, you know, with Minnesota, for instance, I think Kirk's what one, like 16 out of the last 20, it's still a rivalry. It always will be, you know, same thing with Iowa State. But with Nebraska, it's like you just lost Illinois. You, you've lost a couple straight to Purdue. You've lost five straight to Iowa, seven straight to Wisconsin. How do we look at you and go, yeah, you're, you're our rival when we've only played you for 10 years? Yeah, I think from, from a player-coach perspective is kind of what is the, the, you know, the approach you're taking there, and I, I would agree with that. I think there is animosity, borderline hatred in the fan base. So that's good. And I, I think the players get that. You know, they were talking – forget who it was. You, pro, you have a better memory than me. Yeah. Maybe it was Chauncey Golston. Maybe it was, I think I it was Chauncey, yeah. Who said, you know, we want to win for the fans so the fans have bragging rights. It's almost like, yeah <laughs> – you know, we want to win because it's a Big Ten game, but we understand the implications from a fan base standpoint. Yeah, I mean, really, out of all the fans that chirp on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever, Iowa, Iowa State carries a lot of weight, but they're not playing this year, and they're not even the same league. So, and then there's, but I think this one's probably got the most back and forth, and and it's understandable that you know you got two big prideful fan bases and. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of classify it as this way. If you were to ask 10,000 Iowa fans, who's your biggest rival, I think it's going to be a close vote with maybe all four of them. Um, but if you were to say, which team do you, do you like the least or do you hate the most? I think it is Nebraska. I mean, it's kind of this the self-righteousness of Nebraska and its, its fans and versus kind of the insecurity that Iowa fans sometimes feel as being always kind of, the number two in every single area that I think that kind of breeds a contempt. And so, yes, I think it's a rivalry. I do think it's got potential to be a really good one. It's just, we don't, we haven't had any moments that you could say, man, this team was ready to go to Indianapolis lost, or these two teams were ready to play this winner take all game on black Friday. And I guarantee that's what the big 10 was hoping for when they stapled these two together uh, for Black Friday way back in 2011 for the first time. Yeah, unfortunately for them, Wisconsin and Northwestern had other ideas. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but, you know, and then this year I was playing North, uh, Wisconsin last. Mm -hmm. I'd, be, I'd be fine with that one. You know, it's like if you say you're going to play, you know, Iowa, you're going to play Minnesota last. Okay, fine. They did that for 30 years. Oh, are you going to play Wisconsin last? Okay, cool. They don't, that's even better because in some ways, you know, if they got to play on Black Friday, that's a closer drive, you know, <laughs> instead yeah. of going all the way to Nebraska. But, you know, I do think there's potential here. And I think if Nebraska can get off the mat and be a contender or a competitive program again, which I think it will at some point, then I think you'll see it uh, materialize. And if you have some hearts broken and if you have some quality games that, matter then then yeah then it'll certainly elevate into that period very quickly it's just really hard to see that path from where we stand right now scott 
to Nebraska getting back to being a contender. And, you know, I heard somebody say, you know, they need a guy like Chris Kleiman to come in there and establish an identity. I think they've been searching for an identity since Tom Osborne retired and they, they can't, they haven't found one yet. Right. You're hundred percent right. I worked in Missouri and St. Joe, you know, which is kind of right in the middle of like four or five different big 12 teams for six years in the early 2000s. So we, I followed, you know, KU, K-State, Mizzou, Nebraska, saw kind of the demise of the Nebraska program, you know, from fairly close. I didn't cover any games there, but, and it was, it was interesting because they saw themselves as what they were in the nineties. Then in the early two thousands, they started taking steps backward and they didn't know what to do about it. And so they thought Solich was the guy to, and you know, he was only a year removed from a national title game appearance They got rid of him and then, you know, be careful, man. You know, this is what I think Iowa fans are leery of when you start talking about Kirk, you know, you got this combination. You also got the Tom Davis situation. And now you you look at Nebraska and they thought that the golden boy would come back and lead them back to glories. And he had a lot of rhetoric. He had some success, obviously at us UCF. And here we are year three and I don't see an identity. I don't see a program, you know, that's making the right strides to where you could say, okay, when they can, are able to do this, they'll be good. I just don't see it yet. It might happen, but right now that's, that's a projection that's hard to make when they just gave up 285 yards rushing to Illinois. Yeah, great points. And as you, to your point, Frost fed into it. He fed into that yes. mentality that, you know, this is 1993. And it's not. Mm -hmm. And the landscape is different. And you're in a different conference. And they play football differently. And you got to figure it out. And you you wonder, you know, Chip Kelly had an awesome run at Oregon. And he had about a good year and what, a quarter, year and a half with the Eagles. And then the NFL is like, yeah, okay, this guy's going to just tear through us. Nope, that's not going to happen. And now he's struggling at UCLA. And this is you saw what worked at Central Florida. I'm just not sure it works in the Big Ten. Yeah, and, and it comes down to in, in the West Division, and I've told Nebraska fans this for years, and they don't like it, but it's true, and that is the West Division, the only way to compete is to, to be very, very good along the line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball. And you see it with Wisconsin, you see it with Iowa, you see it with Northwestern, defense and you know, risk averse to some extent offenses, but offenses that don't turn over the ball, offenses that can run the football. Minnesota was that way last year. I still think they're pretty good offensively. They're terrible defensively. But, you know, I, that's the way people build because you've got to build in any division or conference or wherever, you've got to build to win it. And to win it, you're going to have to compete with Wisconsin and Iowa and Northwestern every week and every year. And Nebraska just doesn't want to do it. It wants to do it its way. Well, that's why you, you've given up. I, I wrote this down. The last five years, Iowa's five-game win streak, they've got 1,200 yards rushing you know, to Iowa. It's the most out of any program Iowa's faced over that five-year period. Purdue's second. You know, Illinois will end up being second probably after next week. But, you know, I mean, last year, 225 and 266, 313, 264. You know, when you start to look at those numbers, you're going – Iowa wasn't a very good rushing team those years, but they flattened them. This year, they're actually a good rushing team. So they've got to build their defense to stop the running game Iowa has and Wisconsin has, and then build their offense to ensure they can run on those guys. After that, hey, have all the skill players you want. It doesn't matter the system you use offensively. You just got to make sure you can do that. And right now, they can't. And we saw it last week. And then I don't know if you listened to the rhetoric coming out of there this week, but it was just, yeah, we had a bad week of practice. We thought we won something and we didn't. And I'm like, how can you be so inconsistent in your preparation? You know, to go from, oh, you won the Super Bowl against Penn State and then you blew it off because you're playing Illinois. You can't take any weeks off in this league. I mean, Illinois isn't great, but they're going to smack the taste out of your mouth. They are a hard-hitting team, and they proved it. And now here they are. They're coming to Iowa. And I don't know about you, man, but looking at this matchup, I'm going, 
I'm stretching it to think that this could be competitive only because, okay, maybe it's a rivalry or something, but there's nothing on paper that suggests this is going to be close. No, I agree. And I wrote in my preview that ran today that in the, just there's a seed in way, way back in my mind that thinks Iowa was significantly better the last two seasons on paper and it still came down to a field goal. And I'm thinking to myself, that could happen again. But like you said, Scott, I really have to stretch to see that. And I think where Iowa, and you mentioned this, where Iowa's really good, which is running the football, 2-11 average the last three games, and Nebraska gives up 223 on the ground, that's just a recipe for disaster. And you talked about it in the Big Ten West, particularly it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, this is, this is the part of the conference where – None of these teams get elite athletes. You know, they don't get four or five stars like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Um, so you've got to build it developmentally. And, and these teams have established their image and their identity. And, and you've got to go through them to get anywhere you want to go. And Nebraska just can't get there. And so, yeah, I'm looking at this, uh, the, the rushing numbers. I mean, they're 13th in the Big Ten. Last week they gave 285 yards to, to Illinois. And I'm going, how are – Based on what we've seen out of Iowa, I don't. There's just no way they can't get 200 without snapping their fingers on this team. And if they can do that, they're going to establish a line of scrimmage. They're going to go right up and down the field. They're going to break off chunks. This is the best Iowa running team. Uh, you tell me if I'm full of it here, but since Sean Green, I think. I mean, because they are just lethal. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm just saying that this running game is really good right now. And because uh, they made enough of the tweaks, and it's really kind of fun to see. The backside seal blocks, the, the jet sweeps, you could see the, the, the frustration, well, not frustration, hesitation, I guess, out of the second-level defenders, stopping, moving. They know where it's coming. And then, boom, then you have Allard Jackson, who's playing like a, a true upper-round draft pick. Tyler Linderbaum, who I wrote about today, is, you know, a top 50 guy, one NFL Scout told me. So <laughs> I just don't see Nebraska slowing that down. Maybe if Iowa fumbles, maybe if they throw interceptions, but those are the the babies. I just don't see a matchup that I go, oh yeah, Nebraska's better there. Yeah, Scott published that story on Tyler Linderbaum on The Athletic. You can read it, and uh, I have not had a chance to, but I will. And to your point, smart minds think alike. I think on two radio shows this week, I said this is Iowa's best rushing attack since 2008 and Sean Green. And, you know, yeah. Akram Wadley was really good. Marcus Coker had a good season, Adam Robbins. But this is just a dominant running attack. And one of the stats that stuck out to me, Scott, that I think has to be most alarming for Nebraska, their defense allows opponents to convert on third down 54% of the time. That is obscene. <laughs> yeah, that's just saying, here you go. <laughs> and you're taking on a team that, that this is what they pride themselves on. So it's third and three, and they're just running you. I mean, they're bad both offense and defense. Right. They're the worst in the league on both offense and defense, third down conversion. And if you get that, <laughs> and then plus they're 13th in rushing defense, they're 13th in passing offense, I mean – they're, they can't catch up. They can't stop you. They can't slow you down. They turn the ball <laughs> you know? over. I know. And, you know, they're 13th in scoring offense, Nebraska. So yeah. uh, I was third in, in scoring defense. So it's just, again, you know, kind of what you said. You've got to stretch yourself to go, how, do, how can Iowa lose this game? You know, you don't want to get too overconfident because it is Iowa, and Iowa has a tendency that when it's a double-digit favorite to kind of trip over itself once in a while. And, and I mean, to me, it's like, okay, um, if Nebraska sells out on the run, Iowa makes some mistakes and it constantly puts itself behind the chains, then I think it's – then you force Spencer Petras to make plays. He hasn't quite done that yet this year. But if they get one-on-one -on -one opportunities, at some point he's going to connect, you'd think, you know, with either Smith-Marset or Brandon Smith and some big plays. And if I, I know I talked to Marvin McNutt earlier this week, and I said, man, 
you know, usually you try to set up the kill shot. You almost want to go for the kill shot right away. Mm-hmm. If you get an 80-yard touchdown pass or 70-yard touchdown pass right off the bat, you're going to kill that team right off <laughs> in the first quarter. So, um, I don't know. I mean, am I, am I crazy in thinking that this, is, this could be like 41-7? to 7? No, not at all. I think I fit, pick 34 to 20 and I'm giving Nebraska the benefit of the doubt that it's a rivalry game and that it'll get up for it and, and maybe play a good game. But yeah, if there's, if I would, I would not be surprised at all if it's just completely one-sided and you, you, you look at it and you're like, as you said, you try to think to yourself, how can Nebraska win this game? And I'm with you. They have to completely sell out against the run. Completely. And just and even then, I'm not sure they can stop it. They may be able to slow it down. And then can, can Spencer Petras beat them down the field? But I think there's no other way you have a chance if you're Nebraska, right? Right, right. It's, it's all about, you know, usually we look at things like field position, turnovers, penalties as difference makers. Right. But this, is, but this is the way you have to stack it to say this team, that's how this team has to win, which is they're going to have to force Iowa to go 80 yards per possession or more. They're going to have to force them to throw turn, you know, interceptions. They're going to have to force them to turn a ball over, have penalties in inopportune times. And against a program and a team that doesn't do that, it did it in one game this year, and it paid dearly for it. But that was an even matchup. This is not one. So it's just, um, in some ways, you just look at it. And, and what is kind of funny is some of the, the rhetoric out of, uh, you know, Nebraska's always been that, oh, this is Iowa's Super Bowl and all that. It, it, it couldn't be farther from the truth. The Super Bowl is Wisconsin. Yep. You know, we know that. And it's got to be Wisconsin every year until even even this year where Northwestern won, has won the division, it's still Wisconsin. Uh, but, you know, I mean, like you look at plays of 20-plus yards on defense, Iowa's number one. Iowa doesn't give up big plays. Iowa doesn't – it's turnover margins plus seven. Nebraska's minus five. It's just they've got to play clean, efficient football and go the length of the field on Iowa, which doesn't give up big plays, and do it consistently. And Iowa's going to have to – to just step all over itself. And, and I've seen a team that is more committed maybe to each other and to winning than I've seen in a long time. I mean, this mentality of this team is, is healthy and strong, and the chemistry is right there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Kirk has talked about, you know, judge us over time about what happened this summer with the racial, racial bias. I think some of us were, were wondering after the 0-2 start, but these last three weeks, man, they're galvanized. They're playing together. They're playing as a team. They're doing the things they do well when they're good. Um, you know, you look at it from, from the other side of it, Scott, what does Nebraska's offense have to do against Iowa's defense? It runs the ball pretty well, but it's quarterbacks or it's two leading rushers. I don't know what the status of Dedrick Mills is for this week. Um, Wondell Robinson's kind of dangerous. The, Nebraska's going to have to hit some crazy big plays, I think. That you just talked about how stingy Iowa is in that area. I don't see Nebraska putting together like Northwestern did, you know, double-digit play, 70, 80-yard drives to win this game. And you look at it, and for Nebraska, they're probably thinking, eh, we got to outscore Iowa. I, and I don't see it from that angle either. Right. That's the hard part because what Northwestern – and this just shows the difference. And, it, you know, Northwestern to me has been a terrific team this year. And the reason why is when, you, when you're down 17-0 at Kinnick, that's death. You're not going to come back from that. Now, if there were 70,000 people there, it might have been a little bit more difficult. But, you know what, they, it, there weren't, and they did it, and, and hats off to them. They deserved to win that game. Even if Nebraska comes back and goes 16 and 14 play drives like, like Northwestern did, and they cut the deficit to 17-14, then, then they've got to stop Iowa. And, you know, and Northwestern did because Northwestern has a great defense and they got probably the two best linebackers in the, in the conference. And Iowa, of course, called a really poor game. <laughs> Nebraska can't do that. I mean, Nebraska might be able to do two or three drives and, you know, get 17 on Iowa and, and score a couple of times. 
but they're not going to hold Iowa to 20 points and a, a goose egg in the second half. It's just <laughs> so that's where it just doesn't make it just doesn't add up. And and I but I am with you. And you know, last two years I thought, oh, Iowa's going to coast through these guys, and and uh, they should have both years. They were up big, and then they let them back in. And, but I don't know. They've got some. They've got some capable playmakers on offense. Both Luke McCaffrey and Adrian Martinez are capable of making big plays. Wandale Robinson, as you said, Omar Manning is a has a tremendous athletic ability, and I think you know, uh, prodigal son returning in, in a different role, uh, Oliver Martin can make plays, um, and he's going to be very much committed to doing that. But is that going to be enough? You know, all that adds up to me is a max of twenty points. And I just don't see Iowa scoring less than 30. Yeah, I would agree. I was on uh, Omaha radio earlier this week and sounded what I gathered from them is that it's going to, you know, they think it's going to be Adrian Martinez. Yeah. And it was interesting. I think it was Nick Neiman. He um, was asked to describe the differences and he kind of stopped short. I, you know, they, they both can run the ball, Scott. They're not very good at throwing the ball. And I, Nick Neiman, I think, caught himself before he went there. Yeah. But I, I could kind of read his mind. That's what he was thinking. Neither one is going to be able to beat us consistently uh, with his arm. And, and I would agree. Um, Will Levis had a little success last year run, or last week running the ball. He's more Martinez-like, bigger guy. Than, mm-hmm. than McCaffrey's more of a speed guy. Um, Again, I just I, I find it hard to believe that a team that relies on running the quarterback for 60 minutes is going to beat Iowa. And we all got to remember this defense. Not only is it good, it's really physical. Mm-hmm. It hits. It hits. Three rushing yards in the first quarter on that one drive. It was pretty successful running Levis. Uh, they had nine rushing yards the rest of the game. Right. It's just Iowa kind of tends to – it feels its opponent. It kind of takes a couple of body blows early, sometimes a scoring drive, and then it, it really um, tightens down. And when you look at the way they – you know, I mean, I, I think they are improving with every game defensively. You know, they let up a couple of big plays last week, and those are teachable moments. And maybe Nebraska is capable of that. I mean, I think Clifford is a win – He's looking good. He hasn't most of this year, but last year he's capable of making all those big plays. He's a good quarterback, but um, I haven't seen it out of, you know, Luke McCaffrey, who's 13th in pass efficiency in the Big Ten, um, but just ahead of Spencer Petras, too. Yeah, Nebraska doesn't have Dotson or Washington. Penn State was out without, you know, Fryermuth last week. Right. That wouldn't have mattered. And, uh, yeah, I mean – you just when you put it all together, Scott, it's going to have to be where Nebraska plays its best game, and Iowa looks like it did the first two weeks. Whether it be you know the ten penalties and two fumbles at Purdue, or the three picks against Northwestern, and inexplicably, this is going to be Scott. I predict one of those moments, games, points we come back to ten years from now, kind of like Noah Fant against Northwestern. What in the hell were you doing throwing 51 times against Northwestern? That's going to always come. We're going to talk about that when we're old and drinking coffee, when we're like 80 years old and drinking coffee down at the Java house or wherever we go. That's the, that's one of those games. that's just going to always make us scratch our heads. And I, I, if they do that again, shame on them. Yeah. Brian has seems to have one. He's like a bell curve of offensive coordinators. He has, one that you just wish you could get for a mulligan in some ways, game plan wise or game calling wise. And then he has one that you're like, holy cow, where'd this come from? And, uh, you know, this year I, I said it was like a copy and paste job from last year's Michigan game. It was yeah. like, let's just throw our way into this. And it made no sense. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're, we can talk about that one all day. And I, we have before. And, and you know, I, I think, you're right, though. You've got to almost combine all the woes of the first two games and pick and choose the woes, you know, the, the penalties, the turnovers, the, the poor game calling, the, the defensive miscommunication, the, you know, the allowing your opponent to have major drives. 
um, inopportune turnovers, all those things combined at the same time, and then throw it into the same game against a team that's a lesser opponent. And I, and I think this team is mentally is not going to check out. I just don't see them checking out. I think, you know, when they reach that turning point, you know, and I, I think the, the crux came the Sunday morning after losing to Northwestern when we found out Amir Smith-Marset had an OWI. I don't know what you thought at that point. I'm like, oh, boy, okay, now, now it's really unraveled. No, I went the other direction because they have a lot of character. And if we question whether they believed in Kirk and his staff, it's been proven over the last three weeks that they, they've galvanized themselves and they've shown great character. And I kind of do think this team's a lot like the 2018, not only because of the way that runs the ball, but that team really gained steam over the last half of the season. It was a steamroller by the end. I mean, what it did to up at Minnesota, the bowl game, Penn State, and all those games. So, you know, I mean, they're, they're already in the top 25 for the college football playoff. And I'd expect them to end up somewhere. If they went out, I'd expect them to be somewhere out, I don't know, between 12 and 15 by the end of the year. Yeah, and nobody would have thought that after waking up that Sunday morning and seeing what happened with Amir, I think, I think it was, I don't think it was outlandish to think, Oh no, the train is now really off the tracks. And uh, I got a sense from going through yesterday's press conference, Tuesday's press conference that you might be writing about that soon at the athletic, that uh, <laughs> this, this team has kind of circled the wagons as they like to say. Yeah, exactly. And so, I'm sorry. Know, it, oh, I was going to say it's, you know, looking ahead a little bit, even just beyond Black Friday, you know, they've got one more ro- true road tra- test at this point. And that's Illinois. And um, that'll be like, even without fans there, it'll be like when they're normally at Illinois. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, atmosphere yes. will be exactly the same. You know, last year I foiled the actual ticket scans to that 2018 game over there, uh, the one they won 63 to nothing. And there were 14,000 tickets that were used for that game. There were, they announced 33,000, but there were 14 used. And then, of course, in the second half, there was maybe 5,000 in there. So it was about what we'll see with parents and close family members. I would have um, taken the under on the 14K. Five of them were Iowa. You know, so. and, I, I, and at the end of the third quarter, there were 29 students in the student section. I counted them. I, I'm like sitting there, one, two, three, four, five. And, uh, you know, so last year I wrote this story at the Athletic. I'm like, Iowa and Illinois should move their game, which was scheduled for November 7th this year, to uh, guaranteed rate field in Chicago. Because that was going to be the same day as Northwestern Wisconsin at Wrigley. Mm. And I'm like, hey, you need to – first of all, Illinois, this is your state. You know, you don't need another 14,000 – thousand team and you're the seventh game in the package if you move it to Chicago and then they're playing on the north side you're playing on the south side you know how perfect is that for for all of them you could probably have marching bands there you know Iowa fans I, I remember talking to Kelvin Bell just on the side he goes please write that again you know we want that everybody wanted it but it was Illinois decision and of course now it doesn't matter but you know I, I thought that would have been fun but yeah you know what you're going to get there out of Illinois they're, they're a hard-hitting team. They're going to force fumbles. They're, they're, not a te- they're one of those teams now under Lovey. I'm not going to say they're good, but I'm saying you, you've got to walk in with your eyes up because they'll, 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 they'll put you in your place pretty quick. And you may win, but you're not going to feel good about it. <laughs> you know. I I, sorry, I busted your train of thought there. You were oh, going no. to Illinois, and then I think you were going to talk about the Illinois and Wisconsin game and how Iowa can finish here. But Yeah. Um, you know, and getting up and anything in that CFP, I thought Barter did a pretty good job. He, he did the, he did the chairperson act to a T. I, I thought he handled himself, you know, that you, it's that chairperson. It's always the same kind of, you know, neutral. This is what we look at. Just staying on message. I thought he did a good job of that. I did too, because you're probably like me, where you're kind of like, oh, I hope this doesn't turn out to be a train wreck, you know, <laughs> you know, making, oh, look at the Iowa AD, you screwed up here, you know. 
Um, and he, he did fine. You know, he did fine on ESPN. There's not a whole lot he can say either. I mean, they're asking him for specifics, and it's he's just trying to representing the committee, and it's the mm -hmm. first one, so it's all kind of disjointed as it is. And then I, I listened in on the press conference afterwards with reporters. You know, he, he was fine there too. I thought he was even a little bit more descriptive than they usually are, and uh, that was a good thing. Um, you know, I, I thought if anything, I thought Northwestern was in fine shape. I, des I think they deserved that. Uh, Ohio State at four was right, I thought. Uh, I think they're a top four team. I'm not sure they're number one, though. And Indiana might have should have been up a little higher. I think Georgia should have been a little lower. Um, and I, and I, I was glad to see Iowa in there because I think this is one of the top 20 teams in the country. It just – lost two games by a total of five points and the last three they've won by a total of 90 you know so um if, if you know just the smallest details that we're gonna like you said we're gonna be drinking coffee and talking about the kirk days the way brooksy <laughs> and zobble and those guys talked about evie and hayden <laughs> you know but uh we're gonna yeah that's that's gonna leave a mark this first couple of games i thought it was fine yeah and i know you follow iowa state for the athletic as well. And uh, so there's, you know, I, I think it's, this stuff is nuanced and I understand that it's imperfect. You're going to have a question no matter where you rank teams. Iowa State beats Oklahoma head to head and Oklahoma's ahead of it in the rankings. Louisiana is nowhere to be found in the rankings. It beat Iowa State. Um, it's just, it you can't just it's not black and white it just isn't no. so there's got to be some some wiggle room yeah it's just like uh when you know you know the game when you're a kid baseball bat you put your hand up and then you put your hand on top of the yeah. other hand and, and go all the way to the top and and yeah i mean i think you got to look at it in totality and use those games as markers but not absolutes and um you know i i was at the louisiana game and i was at the oklahoma game for iowa state you know, I, I thought, you know, the score, the Louisiana – Iowa State did not play well in that game. They played poorly. They played as bad as I've seen in a long time. But I also say this, that, you know, there's a lot of special teams errors. I think they had two – a punt and a kickoff return and a big yeah. pass and, and a place that, you know, that you could tell that they hadn't practiced a lot. And um, likewise, Oklahoma, I thought that was a rare win. I think if they play again, I'd probably pick Oklahoma to win. So I, I think – I think that was right on. And I heard one of the questions on the second press conference about Louisiana, and it was just kind of like – and Gary handled himself well. You know, he just said, you know, from watching Iowa State, they've really improved this year. They've beaten Oklahoma. They've beaten – their only other loss is Oklahoma State. They've beaten Kansas State decisively. They've played good football and gotten better, and that's what happens during football season. And so, you know, I, they're 13. They've got – you know, if they win this week, they've – solidify themselves in the college, you know, it seems like in the big 12 championship. And, uh, you know, and I, <laughs> it's really unfortunate they're not playing Iowa now, especially because you imagine that in a, in a bowl game or something. I mean, that would be a great game. Yeah. They should both punt on bowl games and just play in St. Louis. I'll be all for that. Minnesota, St. Louis, either one, <laughs> but yes, St. Louis, I've, I've been arguing they should have a bowl game for years. <laughs> They could. They, that would be the ultimate test. Iowa and Iowa State fans versus Bushlight. Who are you know? Who will they run out? <laughs> the bowl. The bowl games are going to be interesting this year, Scott. Just because the travel aspect is taken out of the equation, I would guess for the most part. You may have some fans trickle here and there in some of these games, but. It's really going to be based more on TV and eyeballs on TVs, I would think, is how they're going to pick these games. Everybody's bowl eligible, too. That's another factor that's going to make right. it a little wonky. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's going to happen if, let's say, uh, da, 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 the, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, <laughs> you know, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina, yeah. has its opportunity to pick Iowa. Uh, you know, you'd say maybe logically in Iowa or Purdue or somebody like that. Or, hey, let's go with Michigan. You know, mm -hmm. Michigan, Jim Harbaugh. You know, what's, is this going to be his last game? What's going to happen here? You know, that type of thing, even though they, they suck. You know, but yeah. now, granted, I think Iowa is probably a draw. But, but Purdue might not be. Um, and as you mentioned, there have already been six or seven bowls that have tapped out. 
Holiday Bowl tapped out, the Red Box Bowl, which is a Big Ten Bowl tapped out, the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit. So there's no Detroit Bowl this year, unfortunately. That's a tragedy. I know. I was thinking early on, I'm like, that'd be a great bowl, wouldn't it? <laughs> Michigan, Michigan State, one of those two teams should go to the Detroit Bowl, right? Uh, but no, I, and I also thought, wouldn't it be a great year for, like, let's say Iowa State doesn't win the Big 12, but for it to say, you know what? Let's save on the travel costs. Let's play Iowa and Minneapolis. And Iowa section, let's do it. Let's play in the Vikings Dome. And, uh, you know, if they could arrange fans, great. If not, oh, well, you know. But it would be, it'd be a great game. I, I mean, I really think it would be as competitive at a high level as we've ever seen in that series. Brees Hall against Iowa's rush defense. Mm. That awesome. would be fun. <laughs> but, yeah, Mike Rose and uh, against Tyler Goodson. Yeah. You know, and I guarantee the both teams would be – they. you know, it's not like going again to – I hate to use the same bowl over and over again, the Dukes-Mayo Bowl in Charlotte. You know, like my uh, colleague Stuart Mandel had Iowa going there against NC State. In a normal year, you just kind of go, yeah, all right, okay. Uh, this that's, if it's kind of a, that's kind of a meh anyway, yeah. isn't it? NC right. State, meh. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, I guess. it's It, it's, it feels like that pinstripe bowl matchup with Boston College seven and five type of oh okay now Iowa runs the table which is which is possible beats Mm -hmm. Nebraska Illinois Wisconsin and then says you know plays like Indiana in the number two game and wins Mm -hmm. that then I think like the Citrus Bowl is a real possibility um and and that's against a a, probably a pretty good SEC team you know an Auburn or an A&M or you know, somebody like that, or Georgia, you know, that, that would be kind of cool. But to me, I think in a year like this, give me Iowa, Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I was looking at, you probably know this off the top of your head as closely as you watch this, but um, just from a contractual standpoint, the Big Ten and the Pac, or the Big Ten and the Big 12 don't really match up much in bowls game, bowl games. They don't have partnerships, which is a little weird, but I guess they play each other more in the regular season because it's regionalized maybe but the cheese it bowl which i think is formerly the insight bowl or the buffalo yeah. wild wings bowl or whatever it is down in arizona yeah. is that the only one that has them matched up against each other yeah the cactus bowl i guess or now it's called the guaranteed rate bowl it was the cheese it bowl but the cheese it okay. bowl pulled its sponsorship and is now what was uh in florida i mean these bowl sponsorships make it really difficult but Yes, it's it's that bowl game. Though. You're right, and but it's like number six for both leagues. Yeah. So you know, it, these two teams are too good for that. Right. You know, in another year, if they were seven and five versus seven and five, yes. But but you know, I, I this is an, also a thing where, let's say the the Alamo Bowl would be a perfect spot for that. Mm-hmm. But that's it. That's the number two for the Pac-12, mm-hmm. and now that they've opted back in, it's not going to be in the play. I don't know. I mean, this is a weird year. I'm just glad we've got football. <laughs> you know, as we saw with this week with Minnesota, Wisconsin. Right. That's uh, that's a shame. That's a game that needs to get in. Yeah. Hopefully, they figure out a way to do it. Maybe with that ninth game, maybe they can figure out a way to. Because I mean, it's not. I don't, I don't know if, with the amount of games that we've missed. You know, with how many Wisconsin's playing and Maryland's missed a couple. It's going to be hard to match up, you know, one versus one we'll get. But after that, it's like, who yeah. cares? Just, you know, do the right. best, do what's best for the for the matchups in the league. And Wisconsin and Minnesota playing is, that seems like it's got to happen for the league, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm 100%, 1,000% there with that. Because I think there's, there are a handful of games that matter more than the other. Right, and I would say Indiana Purdue matters for those two teams more than any other. Uh, uh, Michigan Ohio State, Michigan Michigan State, Iowa Minnesota, you know they kind of enter this, and, and Minnesota Wisconsin certainly enters that mm-hmm. conversation as you got to do whatever it takes to get it in. And so I think the the best scenario right now, I I look I try to match up do the matchups, and okay, it's going to be Northwestern Ohio State. We know that. Um, so number two looks like, even if it's, you know, it looks like it's Iowa, Indiana, because Wisconsin and Indiana are supposed to play next week anyway. So it right. probably just makes sense. So then match up Minnesota with Wisconsin, match up Michigan State, Maryland. They missed a game last week. 
So then you take it out on both sides, and then out of your remaining games, hey, Nebraska-Michigan, how great is that? Scott Frost and Jim Harbaugh, mm -hmm. two named programs, if nothing else. Um, then, like, uh, I, I want to say Illinois-Maryland and Purdue-Rutgers, or yeah, Purdue-Rutgers or something like that. That would be, um, you know, then you've got it kind of all covered. Yeah. And, and now we don't know where these games are going to be played. Um, I, I think there could be a doubleheader in Indianapolis. Um, you know, maybe a Friday night game, like maybe Iowa-Indiana on that Friday night, Ohio State-Northwestern on that Saturday. So so you think they'll do campus for the rest of them? Maybe have a doubleheader and then campus for the rest? I think that's probably fair. Don't you think that'd be the yeah. smart thing to do? Yeah. Because – if fans can't go, why spend the money to rent the Vikings stadium for, right. you know, some of these games? And, and uh, you know, it, it, to me, it would be kind of smart. It's like, okay, like, let's say you have Purdue Rutgers or something like that. Play it at like four o'clock on a Friday. And then, and then have your number two game is at like eight o'clock on Friday, like Iowa, Indiana, eight o'clock or something. Like that. that would be kind of fun. I think if you're an Iowa fan, you look at it and say, okay, this is what I would like to see. I'd like to see Wisconsin. We know will be that last game. That's already locked in. Then you get Indiana, and that's assuming you win the next two weeks against Nebraska and Illinois, which should happen, barring, you know, just a really bad game. But then you get and beat Indiana, and then you get like A&M, like you said, in like the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. That would be a hell of a finish. You lose your first two and then come and run, and then those last – Three games are Wisconsin, Indiana, Texas A&M. Right. Especially in a year like this, how, how can you look down and say this season was anything but a very, very big success? Yeah, no, no question. And if you can get through that grind, and let's say you win the Citrus Bowl, and yeah. whether it's like Georgia or A&M or something like that, you might be ranked in the top 12, top mm -hmm. 10 even. You know, and if you do that, based on everything that we had to go through minute by minute, day after day, through the summer, through the fall, the season, the way it started to what it ends, it's, it's an all timer. And I think you look at it and you go, you know what? They coached their asses off. They played their asses off. And this is a special team that deserves, you know, kind of like, kind of like with Penn state with all those players that stuck behind after all the issues with the Paterno mm -hmm. and Bill O'Brien's first year, and they lost a lot of players. and They didn't have a bowl game, but they played really well. They kind of were celebrated, you know, for the, their accomplishment, not for anything near the program, which sucked, in my opinion, for even playing, but their accomplishment. I think that's what this team kind of deserves its own special place in Iowa history, if it can, if it can run that table. First up, Friday, Nebraska – they tried to kill the Black Friday game. It would not die. <laughs> it's, it's like Michael Myers in the original. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Halloween. Yes. Before, you know, Donald Pleasant just blasts him away off of that balcony, blasts through the balcony, falls on the <laughs> ground, looks down, he's still gone. <laughs> I know it's it's the it's the Rasputin of rivalries, you know. You can shoot it, poison it, drown it, and stab it, and it just it keeps coming back for more, you know. It's you know day old turkey. So <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad they're playing. I'm glad it's, it's Black Friday that it turned into a nice tradition. And it's uh, you know hopefully you know hopefully we get a good game. And that is noon on Friday on the Fox, the, the big Fox. I think Robert Smith is the color guy on that game. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know who the play-by-play -play guy is, but um, Fox does a pretty good job with the broadcast. So tune in there. Uh, a kind of an odd start time that noon, so make sure uh, you lock that in. We'll finish, Scott, with some Thanksgiving talk. I'm going to hit you with these. Somewhat rapid fire. Um, turkey or ham? Turkey. Yeah, without question. Mm -hmm. uh, mashed potatoes or stuffing? Oh, man. You know, right hand, left hand. Let's go with uh, – I got to go with stuffing. Just okay. a little bit more. Just a I'm going to go – I'll balance it out and go mashed okay. potatoes. All right. <laughs> I, Dean, I was trying to think of this before when I was thinking about asking you these questions. I'm like, I don't think I've ever come across any – how 
Potatoes were prepared any way that I didn't like them. Mm -hmm. It's a great yeah. vegetable. Yes. The mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, sweet potatoes. I'm not as big of fries. Yeah, fries. We just <laughs> my son just had those to go with his beer. So <laughs> that is a lunch of champions, right? There. Yes, 21 year olds. That's like uh, filet mignon for 21 year olds. You know, <laughs> um, sweet potatoes. Uh, not as thumbs much. down. Uh, thumbs down for me. I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, Pie, pecan, pumpkin, apple. Pumpkin, for sure. I think I'm going to go with you on that as well. Yeah. And then we'll finish on this. And I talked about this on the mailbag po podcast, but I won't give it away till I ask you. Cranberry sauce, thumbs up, thumbs down. Looks good, but I don't really want to eat it. It's <laughs> a so thumbs down. It's trash. Yeah. Cranberry, it, it, especially the gelatinized yeah. one that comes out of the can. I don't want any part of that. There are certain foods that are more decoration than they are for, you know, anything I want to put in my mouth. And that's one of them. And <laughs> I, I tried the chestnuts on an open fire one year and I'm like, I'd rather, I'd rather just pull down a, a walnut and eat it by itself. You know, it's just not good. So yes. yeah, I'm with you on the chestnut. It's like the texture, man. It's yeah. like rubbery. Yes. I don't get it. I mean, it was kind of, I was at this really cool little place and there was doing like Scrooge and, and there was some guy that was making chestnuts over an open fire. I'm like, oh, this is really neat. And I'm like, yeah, okay, thanks. Uh, <laughs> just, just ruined that thought, you know. <laughs> I think you know. they meant to put them in the fire. Yeah. Not sitting next to the fire, but actually putting the chestnuts into the fire and using that as a, you know, to help the flame. I think that's yeah. what the plan should be. And then while you're at it, throw the cranberry sauce in there. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and then, and then lean over and go, oh, my God, you know, and scare <laughs> some people that you slipped on the chestnuts and you ripped your arm off or something. And <laughs> well, Scott and I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving, whether you have turkey or ham. You prefer stuffing and mashed potatoes. If you like the cranberry sauce, go for it. 2020, you should yeah. do whatever, do whatever you want to do, right, Scott? Yeah, this is this is a time to smile. We haven't had a lot of those this year. Enjoy it. And if you like it, have at it. I like black olives. I like cottage cheese. Other people hate both. To each his own. Let's just have a good happy Thanksgiving. Well said. Everybody have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the game on Friday. Scott and I will be back next week with another Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. It'll be in its regular spot on Thursdays, and we will talk to you then.